This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 308. Hello, everybody. We are delighted to bring another show to you this week. We have a very exciting topic. We are going to talk about different ways to bring adventure to your board game table. Yeah, this felt like a fun change of pace, and especially as more and more families enter the school year, sometimes it's nice to have that escapism in your mm-hmm. board games. Absolutely. But first, we have a lot of other things we need to cover. Hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I am your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful and amazing wife, Anitra. That's me. And we, of course, have a number of things that we always do at the beginning of every single show. The first one of those things is a fact about our show number. Anitra, are you ready? Uh, give me something with 308. Okay. I have two. Because that's, you know, what I do. I, once again, was struggling to find some good things. I didn't want to go with the Winchester 308 rifle. I felt like, I just, I don't want to talk about guns. I talked about guns a couple times. I don't want to talk about guns. Guns, eh, I don't want to do it. So, I'm not going to talk about that. Very famous rifle. You can look it up if you're interested. The first one of these is crazy. And the second one of these is a little sad. Okay. Okay. The first one of our facts regarding the number 308. The fastest time to walk down a five-story flight of stairs is 30.8 seconds. Now, you would think that doesn't seem that amazing. Yeah, I, you can walk downstairs faster than that. It was done on his hands. Oh. The fastest time to walk down a five-story flight of stairs on hands is 30.8 seconds. Okay, that is impressive. I can't even I can't even imagine going down like one stair, maybe <laughs> on, two. On your hands. <laughs> on my hands in that amount of time. It was done at Patriot Place in Foxborough, Massachusetts. So mm-hmm. around the corner from us. On May 3rd, 2014. Okay. A little over eight years ago. The next fact was also a May fact. It was May 22nd, 2012. On this date, the Dragon C2 Plus mission began with the launch of a Falcon 9 rocket, the SpaceX rocket, which later docked with the International Space Station. The second stage of the rocket carried a canister containing samples of the cremated remains of 308 people. Um, not so much ew, but weird? Wait. The 308 people buried in space, this was a space burial, that was what this was. That was what the idea was. Include U.S. astronaut Gordon Cooper. Hmm. And Canadian actor James Doohan. Aww. Who is famous, of course, for playing... Scotty. Scotty. On Star Trek. So those are my two facts about our episode 308. Now, we're going to do this thing with our sponsor messages for the next couple of weeks. We're going to do this thing where we're going to actually give you examples from a pretend client of the kinds of things that First Move Financial can help with. Because we've had some questions about, like, why would I need a financial planner? I'm not, you know, rich or whatever. And so what we wanted to do was give a couple of examples because it might be hard to imagine just how First Move can help you. Hopefully this will help. Okay. So say we are a young family of four. We make about $100,000 a year between the both of us and our net worth, which is our assets minus our liabilities. Liabilities can include things like student loans. Our net worth is really small, like maybe 25K. We rent. We're just starting our savings. We'd like to buy a home in the next five years, and we want to be in a good position when we start having kids soon. What are some real world examples of how First Move can help and what is it going to cost us? So one of the first concerns from prospective clients is whether they can afford to work with First Move. In this example we just gave, this couple has an income of $100,000 and a net worth of $25,000. Their monthly fee would be about $90 a month. If you want to see an estimate of what your fee would be to work with First Move, you can always go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers. And when you scroll down a bit, there's a fee calculator on that page, as well as a way to set up a quick phone call and see if First Move is a good fit for you. All right. Thanks so much to First Move for sponsoring this episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. And over those next few weeks, we're going to have more and more examples of things that maybe might kind of help you draw the picture in your mind of how First Move can help. All right, Anitra, 
Yes. It's time to do something very exciting. It's time to talk about what we've been playing. And since it's the first podcast in the month of September, it is also time for... The Monthly Report. The Monthly Report. Which one do you want to do first? Um, let's do the Monthly Report first. Okay. Sure. All right. I am pulling up my BG stats now. This has been a really good week for board gaming, so I'm super excited to talk about all that stuff. But the entire week has not been in the month of August, so it's going to be a little bit broken up when we talk about yeah. our Monthly Report. So how many games did you play in August? How many distinct games? <sighs> 17. Man, you beat me. Did I really? Yes. I only played 16 different games. But I bet you you had more game plays than I did. I played 25 times. which 20 is 20 games for me. Still not great for me. I do definitely aim for more than one game per day on average. Yeah. And I'm waiting for that one month when I will claim victory. <laughs> and I will have played more than uh, one game a day. And it still hasn't happened, but... That's okay. All right. So, Anitra. Yes. My H index was two. My H index was three. Okay. I had three games that I played two times each. Okay. So, what were those three games? Tall Tales, which we played to review. Mm -hmm. I also played Condottiere, which is a game about Italy. Yeah. Not France. And I also played a little game called Aldabas. Do you want to talk maybe a little bit about Aldabas, Anitra? Sure. So, we <laughs> talked a little bit last week about Aldabas, Doors we of did. Cartagena. We did. And just like you had some issues with geography with Condottiere, I also had <laughs> some issues. Yes, you uh, did. Cartagena is in Colombia, which is in South America. It's very it's far away from Spain. Anywhere near Spain. <laughs> I mean, they speak Spanish there, but that's all I got. This was pointed out to us by our good friend Mark Spector of the Grand Gamers Guild. I mean, very politely and kindly. if anybody should know, <laughs> should know where Cartagena is, it would be Mark, who is, of course, the owner of Grand Gamers Guild, which makes Aldabas. <laughs> yes. So thank you for your back talk, Mark. We and appreciate it very much. We are extra thankful that we were pointed this out before we review Aldabas. That is and true. Don't make full and by the way, there. feel free to send us messages and correct us because... We know a few things about board games, but even apparently board game facts we sometimes get wrong. So we're doing the best we can over here, <laughs> but we're just a bunch of hacks. Apparently, we're so, also very bad at geography outside of North America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. That too. So uh, so thanks so much for that back talk. We won't take it from our kids. I mean, yeah, we won't take it from our kids, but we'll take it from you. So anyway, uh, those were my three games that that made my uh, my two games that I played. Okay. In my H index of three, I had Aldavis. I also had Word a Melon, mm -hmm, which we mm -hmm. re reviewed a week and a half ago. And I had Disney Sorcerer's Arena Epic Alliances. Yeah, that game is really good. We're going to talk about that in a should, little bit. Should we just transition to what we've been playing here? I mean, I, I want to talk a little bit about my stats. So let's, I, I just want to talk about this. So this year I have played 188 games, 109 unique games. So, um, you know, that's, okay. that's kind of okay. I've played the vast, vast, vast majority of my games I have played with you, mm -hmm. which should not be a surprise. Um, getting back to this month, I've played games. Let's see. I played games in three locations, which I suppose were here at our friend's house and probably camping. Those seem to be probably the, the options. Uh, yeah, 17 games with 19 players, nine of which were named. And uh, yeah, that's about all I got. Apparently, I played half of my games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Okay. I play half of my games on Mondays and Tuesdays. I play more than half on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. <laughs> all right. All right. Awesome. So let's jump right into the games that we've been playing. Uh, you mentioned Start Sorcerer's Arena. Sorcerer's Arena. The full name is Disney Sorcerer's Arena Epic Alliances. Yeah. This is a really cool arena fighting game. So the best way to think about Epic Alliances is to think about essentially if you mixed like unmatched with Prisma Arena, but then you put a Disney skin on top of it. I don't know if there's a lot of people who will know both of those games well enough. Which is a shame because they're both excellent games. I, that's true. So this Sorcerer's Arena game is definitely more complex than Prisma Arena and less complex than Unmatched. Agree. But it's an arena fighting game. So you have a team of three characters uh, in most versions of the game. 
and you are fighting against another team of three characters. And whenever you KO someone, you're just bouncing them out of the arena until their next turn. So one of the big things that this really changes is what the goal of the game is, right? So in a game like Unmatched, the goal of the game is to knock out the opponent. Yes. In this game, the goal of the game is to get a victory point threshold. Yes. And there's two ways to do that. There are certain places on the board where if your character is in that place when your character's turn comes up, you get a victory point. But the big way that you get victory points is by knocking out your opponents. Yes, and different characters are worth a different number of victory points. So you might want to throw your low VP character kind of in front of the bullet to protect a higher value character or give that higher value character a little longer to regroup or run away. But it also means that there's kind of this balance, right? So a higher victory point value character is more likely to have a set of skills, a particular set of skills that maybe are more powerful or more potent or makes them harder to kill or whatever it might be or knock out or whatever the word is that you want to use. You know, we played with a bunch of different characters and that's something that I really like about this game. Disney is very particular about the way in which its characters are used. And so this is like the first time that I have seen where you can elect to, especially in a board game, I think there was maybe one video game where you could do this, but especially in a board game where you could just choose which characters you want to pair up and you could pair up heroes and villains in this game if you want to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the characters. I don't want to get way in the weeds on this, but the reason why it also makes us think of Unmatched is these characters are themed incredibly well. Mm -hmm. I am finding quite a bit of fun in playing the villain, Dr. Facilier. Oh, he drives me crazy. So he's a a magic-heavy character, obviously, but a lot of the magic that he does is to frustrate your opponent. It is, oh, by Uh. the way, you now have to discard a card. Or you have to get rid of this card. Or that thing you thought you were going to do that was super powerful, yeah, you just, you can't do it right now. And so Dr. Facilier is very much about that. Another heavily magic character is Sorcerer's Apprentice Mickey. Mm-hmm. He's He fun. works in a very different way. He's really just about like, let me find the magic in my deck. Let me, you know, use one of his special abilities to find the magic in my deck. And if I play my spells right, I can just hit really hard. (laughs) So the way in which Sorcerer's Apprentice Mickey hits hard is, I mean, this is Mickey directly out of Fantasia, right? So he is actually grouping up his broom army (laughs) to hit a character. He's got a special magic broom effect. Yes, which is very, very cool. The last game that we played, I actually managed to win, finally. And the way in which I did that was I capitalized on the Oceanic Attribute which um, allowed all of the characters that I was using to make use of these oceanic tiles. So there's an expansion that's called, I think, Turning the Tide, which includes Moana, Stitch from Lilo and Stitch, and Davy Jones. And they kind of expand the oceanic stuff, right? But Ariel from The Little Mermaid is in the corset, so she's also an oceanic character. So when I played, I drafted Stitch and Moana and Ariel. And there's a lot of stuff that can bounce off each of the characters because when you have an Oceana character, there's ways that you can do a little bit more movement if there's these ocean tiles out and certain Oceana characters can allow you to put more ocean tiles out. So there was a lot of synergy between the characters and that really helped with the way that I was trying to get some stuff done. Yeah. So this is really, really well done. You've got all of these familiar Disney characters, some good guys, some bad guys, some more minor characters you might not necessarily think of. Like Demona. Like Demona from Gargoyles, Mm -hmm. which has now gotten our children interested in watching Gargoyles. Which makes me very happy. For that, if (laughs) But every single one of them has specific things that make you go, oh yeah, that's totally in keeping with this character. Uh, Aladdin can run fast and hit hard as he's running and sometimes steal things as he does. All that kind of stuff. Demona has a special ability that comes up once or twice per game that lets her fly anywhere on the board rather than doing a standard move. 
they did a really good job theming these characters and making sure that the abilities that they have are things that actually make sense for their characters and no two characters feel the same even like Gaston who is obviously like a large bruiser character who hits hard and Sully who is also a large bruiser character who hits hard they feel completely different and they do completely different things and they feel completely different in appropriate ways Gaston is a very selfish kind of character just gonna go out hit hard and do whatever and Sully although he's a big tanky kind of character is very much a I'm helped by being near my friends Mm -hmm. or I'm going to go draw fire to protect my friends and his abilities all kind of focus around that you know what's really funny is the more I think about this game and the more I think about the fact that this game is super expandable and all of this other stuff and I don't want to say I want this more than I want to play the game because that's not really true but like I'm super excited to see what characters they come out with because they're so clever and so smart and they're not afraid to dig deep into the like Disney IP to get some things that maybe you won't think about Uh, I should probably disclose I was involved in the playtesting for this game. So if you have this game, if you go to the back page and you look at the upper right, you'll see my name, which is kind of awesome. It does mean there's some things that I can't talk about, but I'm really excited. Let me put it to you like that. I'm really excited for what could come for this game. It's really, really cool. One last thing I'm going to mention before we move on, which is that the rule book also does a good job of scaffolding and teaching you how to play. Uh, there are four different modes of play. They call them chapters in the rule book. And each one is a little bit more complex and adds a little bit more stuff than the one that came before. So it ends up being a relatively deep and complex game for being a game that kids can play. But it doesn't start off that way. And you can always just keep it at that much more basic level mm-hmm. if that works for you. They also use the acrylics in this game, the clear oh, acrylics so with the so actual pretty. full color art on them. And I just, they, mwah, they look so good. I love them. I love them so much. All right. We should not spend our entire show talking about <laughs> Sorcerer's Arena, though. Okay. Next, I'm going to talk about a game that you did not play. I played this at our friend's house. This was The Rocketeer, Fate of the Future. So The Rocketeer is a game which is based on the movie. We're going to release a review for this in a couple of weeks. Uh, Corey is writing that review. Uh, It's a game where you are trying to basically get the most victory points. And you get victory points by having the plans for the like rocket jetpack thing at certain points in the game. Or by having kind of possession of certain locations on the board, I guess at certain parts of the game, or by uh, knocking out your opponents. And you're playing with three characters on each side, and the decks are kind of parallel decks. There's a lot of, like, the same card with a different name because it's, you know, the opponents kind of thing. But there is some asymmetry in there. I think the game is fine. There was nothing about it that really, really stood out to me, except some of the art in this game is unbelievably good. The box is gorgeous for this game. It's like, I mean, it deserves to be mounted on a wall. Beautiful. It is great. The presentation is really, really good. The game doesn't, I don't think, stand up to the quality of the presentation, unfortunately, but Mm. it was fine. I mean, it was ultimately forgettable, but I didn't hate that I played it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of where I was at with The Rocketeer. And I would just say, I'll mention, you know, when the review comes out, I'll mention that it came out, so... Read about that at thefamilygamers.com. I have been playing more 60 Second City. Um, I posted a little bit about this on Instagram. I am still really, really enjoying when we pull this out. It's so unusual, the things that it pulls together, and in a really great organic kind of way. I haven't mentioned 60 Second City for a while. It is a two-player only, timed round, cooperative game. So you set up for your round. Uh, There are five rounds in the game. And you have a series of goals that you're going to try to meet. And when you start the timer, which has to be 60 seconds, shocking, I know, you are flipping over these little domino type tiles, trying to set them out into the city grid and fulfill as many of the goals as you can. And it's just the two of you racing to get this done one tile at a time. You rarely place all of the tiles or fill the city grid because there's just so much to think about and try to work together. There are also these extra 
challenge cards. I forget what they're called right now, but they can change up and kind of focus your attention a little bit more. And I really like using them, even though some are like, once this card is flipped, you cannot talk to each other until the end of the round. If you do, you immediately lose this round and this card stays in play through the next round. Be like, "Mm, let's not talk to each other then. (laughs) But everything about this game works together really, really well. And Asher bought this for me for my birthday. I think he spent $10 on it. And it wasn't on like any kind of crazy sale or anything at Target. So this is really well done, especially for the price. I really like it and I keep coming back to it. It's good. I mean, it's a fun game. And I think it's super, super rewarding for him that he bought you something that you really, really like. So that's one of those things that just warms my cold curmudgeon heart whenever I see, you know, the two of you playing that game together. I know it's hard to believe that something makes me genuinely soulfully happy but all right uh <laughs> next on the list we played chronicles of avel i think maybe i don't want to talk about this too much both because we have a bunch of games and i know we're going to talk about the last game on the list for a while and because we didn't have a great first experience I, there this game is cool there's a lot of really cool. really cool smart clever stuff in this and i really want to play more of it I just think the way the board happened to randomly get set up and then just the insanely bad die rolling with our first game um, was not great. But every step of the way, we're like, okay, that's cool. Okay, that's cool. Okay, that's cool. So I think we had a hard time, but we learned a lot from that first play. And in spite of having a really, really hard time, we came away from it saying, yeah, I'm definitely into playing this again and seeing where we went wrong and if it was just a lot of bad luck or not right exactly yeah and you know i mean having played this game exactly one time it's really interesting because there's a lot of world building in the box which doesn't really get into the game itself like there is no campaign in this game right and i I feel like there's probably going to be an expansion that will make one just because there's so much world building like there's this entire secondary booklet or something of stuff that is just really not needed And it's curious that they spent so much time developing the world unless they have a plan for where it's going to go. So that is something that I'm intrigued in slash impressed that they included in this kind of first offering. But I already am thinking with this game, this game is probably going to end up on a recommended list because it's so smartly done. Uh, probably we, we need to play it more and figure out how much of our experience was just bad luck and how much of it is things that we might need to recommend about or mitigate against. Yeah, or just be aware of, right? Like yeah. sometimes if you know that you're going to run into something, it makes it easier to so deal with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So the next game on the list, I think we'll talk about this very quickly, is the game Ven. So Ven is supposed to be a party game, a party team game. Mm-hmm. We've had a hard time getting enough people together to play it as teams. So thankfully, the box also has a cooperative mode for two or more players. So you and I played it cooperatively. We did. And that was good. <laughs> Ven is weird. (laughs) Okay, so here's how Ven works. So you have these three translucent-ish circles that you put down, and that kind of forms the center game board. And as a result of those three circles, you have seven different areas, right? So you've got just the individual one, two, three circle, and then you have the overlap of each pair. One and two, two and three, three and one. Right. And then you have the section in the middle where all three of them overlap. And the way the game works, there's a set of cards laid out that give you 12 words. Yeah. Something like that. And then the clue giver draws a card secretly that has three numbers on it, which correlate with three of these words. And then you get five minutes. I it think it was seems less than shorter five. than five minutes. I don't know. You get maybe three, three maybe? minutes. It doesn't matter. You get some amount of time to flip through these weird cards. Think like weird Dixit level stuff, right? This is, there's a lot of this like AI art stuff on the internet right now. Like these cards look like they were generated from some AI art program. Like they're just weird. Looks like a bunch of clip art, not thrown together, but a, a bunch of clip art kind of, can I put this in a really weird situation? Yeah, like I said, it's weird. Bananas on the moon, weird stuff like that. Exactly. So you have these seven spots that you can put a single card in each one, right? And you can replace it by putting something over it, but you can only have one representative card in each of these seven spots. And your goal is to get the other player to guess the three words. Now, 
it's not like a certain color correlates with a certain word. So that part you don't really have to worry about. But whoever the clue giver is kind of needs to remember which way mm-hmm. that they've mentally mm-hmm. associated them so that, you know, clues on the opposite sides potentially can relate to the correct same thing. And that's pretty much the game. So you're looking for, let's say I have fuzzy and cold and, I don't know, winter or something. Not, not that's bad. Um, beach. Fuzzy and cold and beach are my three words. So if I found something that showed like someone laying on a towel or something, or it's just like a towel floating in midair, I might put that on the section that shows the fuzzy and the beach overlapping with each other. Right. But if I drew a card that had like a shoreline, then I might put that one on the section that correlated between beach and cold because the water is usually cold and so on and so forth. And then let's say I found something that had like an igloo on it. I might just put that on the section that's just cold. So that's kind of what you do. And then at the end of the time, you know, in the case of our cooperative two player game, the other person would try to guess the three and that's basically it. Yeah, it was really interesting and more, I guess, cerebral than I expected it to be. Well, you always are going to try to make these relationships that are always strained because the cards are not distinct enough that you're like, oh, this was the card that they meant to apply to cold. Right. You know what I mean? But also the words are kind of randomly drawn Mm -hmm. and you can end up with very close synonyms on the little board of available words yep so maybe you need to do both of them like you said maybe cold and winter but maybe you need to somehow indicate winter without necessarily indicating cold because you you know winter is on your list and cold is not right you need to get your other person to guess winter yep so it's one of those a little bit like code names. You really got to be aware of what all the available words are, even though you're only trying to clue three of them. And dealing with these really wacky picture combos and trying to kind of just get the feel for, you know, can I put stuff out here so you can get close enough and figure out the word? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I'm going to make no bones about it. It's not easy. It's interesting. I don't know how much staying power this game is going to have. I mean, it does very much feel like it is another party game in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. But it certainly makes you think. I will say that much. And I'm really eager to play it with a larger group of people to see what the more competitive modes look like. But that is Venn. So I feel like we need to mention that our children asked for one of your favorite games after the first day of school. I don't know if they were trying to butter you up. <laughs> I doubt it. I mean, we played Merchant of Magic. It just felt good to play something more cerebral because you know the first day of school is mostly like, let's get to know you and yeah. here's where your classes are. And mom curb stomped everybody really badly. I, I mean, I, I didn't mean to. But, oh, stop it. But I, I did do it. Oh, um, yeah, you did. I had fun. I bet you did. <laughs> So, but hey, listen, that game is great. My kids wanted to play it, and that's awesome. The end. <laughs> well, you know, encouraging, especially to folks with younger kids or older kids who don't seem that interested, sometimes. Just, <laughs> they might surprise you. You never know. They might surprise you. Just be like, oh, yeah, can we play this game? Uh, yes, I will drop everything so we can. All right, Anitra. Speaking of our kids wanting to play games. Okay. Yeah. Yesterday, we got in the mail for review a very special game. The game is Flamecraft. So this game is adorable. It is adorable. It has some real depth, unlike many of the other adorable games we've played. It is full of puns. I appreciate this game on so many levels. It helps that it's excellent on so many levels. I mean, mean, the game's really good, right? So Flamecraft is a worker placement resource collection game, set collection-y kind of thing, I Mm -hmm. guess. Yeah. Where you are playing as, I mean, you're not really playing as a dragon. I guess you're like a dragon maestro. You're trying to place dragons in appropriate jobs, kind of? Or something like that, yeah. And then win influence in the town. <laughs> Make everybody love you because the dragons are all very happy, I guess. The game is very, very cute. You have 
opportunities to get points by getting these fancy dragons, which have either immediate conditions that you can fulfill or end game conditions that you can fulfill. But there's also these enchantments that you can put on the various shops in town. Yeah, and those pretty much just directly give you points. Pretty much, pretty much. So those are kind of the main ways in which you get points. There's a couple of other things that you do, but you're really incentivized to put plain dragons, regular dragons, whatever they are. Crafting dragons. Crafting dragons into the little shops that are available at the beginning of the game because once the shop is full, you get to place another shop in the town. And as you continue to do this, more and more things become available for you so that you can take advantage of abilities or pick up more resources. And that's basically, it almost becomes action selection at that point, I guess. Kind of? Yeah. It's not really worker placement because you've only got the one right. guy to move around. Yeah. But at the beginning, it's not its not really action selection because the beginning shops don't have shops don't abilities have actions, on them. Yeah. It's only the later ones that do. So there's a lot going on. The presentation is fantastic. In the box, I don't think we have the deluxe version of the game. No, it's all cardboard and Yeah, cards. but in the box is like a three foot long playmat. Like really nice rubber backed. Yeah you know, whatever playmat that rolls out on the table. If you go to our Twitter or our Facebook or our Instagram at Family Gamers AA, I did snap a picture of us playing this game and you can kind of see this playmat just runs the entire center of the table. And it's great because wherever you're sitting, like there are always going to be things that you can't reach and there's always going to be things that you can reach, but that's like Thanksgiving dinner. You know what I mean? (laughs) With the way that it's kind of set up. And so it's really nice the way it sits on the table that way. Yeah, I agree. So I was definitely impressed by the components and the cuteness of the dragons and the punny names and everything, but I was skeptical because I've seen other cute games that their strength was in being cute and everything else in how the game played was, you know, fine. This game is not that way. There were really interesting decisions to be made in this game. Mm -hmm. That is not what I associate with a game that's real cute, and I really appreciated it. Yeah, but I think like... This is one of those games where the mechanisms are simple enough that anybody could play it. Like down to probably like, I think our eight-year-old could probably play. He's not going to win, but the mechanisms are simple enough that he He, can start to connect things together. Yeah. And I think that that's a cool place to kind of sit because then you have the participation. You just need to know like, hey... The points don't matter or something like that. If you're playing with, you know, dramatically different skill levels or something like that. I think the other thing to be aware of is that this is not a complicated game, but it's easy to get overwhelmed by how many choices you can make. And so I think younger kids are going to tend to have that issue more. Even our 11-year-old, he really laser-focused in on one thing in this first game and was getting upset that he couldn't do it and kind of forgot that there were any other ways to get points. I mean, that's a thing with him anyway. Yeah, but I could see lots of other kids doing that too. Yeah, I I could. I totally could. Yeah, this is very much a game where you have to keep your eyes open. You have to look at everything that's going on. And I figured out probably three quarters of the way through the game, which was way too late, that there were certain things that I should have been doing to get more points that I wasn't. And I mean, I, I did okay, but... I knew pretty quickly that I was not going to win this game once I kind of got my head around that piece. Mm. So so that was Flamecraft by Cardboard Alchemy. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, Lucky Duck Games, they partnered with Lucky Duck Games to put that one out. So very excited for more people to get that. That is currently fulfilling its Kickstarter and then it'll be available in retail. So we're super excited about that one. It is so cute. I remember when it hit Kickstarter and it was just like, it was one of those, it's the wrong time, but I really want to get this game kind of things. I was just really skeptical because the last couple of really, really cute games I've seen have not really held up to their promise. I mean, yeah, but this one, I, I don't know. I, I, I had faith in the development team. It promised team. to be different And it is. Right. So that is Flamecraft. I'm going to mention just one more thing real quick, because everything else we've mentioned that we have been playing came out in the last year. (laughs) Okay. I played several more games of Drop It with the boys. Um, It's actually on our family 10x10, which is part of why we played it. We are way behind on our family 10x10. But uh, yeah, 
I am still loving Drop It. It is still a game that anyone who can count up to seven can play. And I will continue to recommend it for families of all ages. It's really great. Yeah. I mean, it's an excellent game. We recommend it to just about everybody. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, why don't we do this? Why don't we take our break? When we come back, we're going to welcome our new community members, and then we're going to get into our topic talking about adventuring. What do you think? Sounds good. All right, we'll be right back. Hey, Nature, what what are these things? They're not things. They're germs, and they're contagiously fun. This is a snap review for Germs. Germs is a tile placement game for two to four players from Bananagrams. The box says it's best for ages six and up, and gives some slight rule modifications for even younger players. A game plays in about 20 minutes. So, Nicho, let's talk about the art in Germs. Well, the standees are pretty cute, and a good reminder of what type you're matching on the tiles. The tiles are brightly colored, and the four germ types are all very different. So even players who struggle with colors shouldn't have a problem matching them up. So Andrew, let's talk about the mechanics and how to play the game. Sure. So after placing the special start tile on the table and assigning everyone their own germ, each player draws a tile. The one who most recently had the sniffles goes first. (coughs) I guess that means you. On your turn, place your tile touching at least one other tile. Every edge your tile touches must match. White edges are considered blockers and don't match anything. Not even other white tiles. Every edge that matches will complete a germ. If you match two or more sides of your tile, you immediately draw a new tile and take another turn. Otherwise, draw a tile to end your turn. Your goal is to make connected groups of your germ type, either side to side or corner to corner. Each germ in a group is worth as many points as there are germs in the group, so the larger the better. Of course, your opponents will be trying to slow or stop you from making these connections. And you won't always get tiles with your germ type on them. How can you place those tiles to give as few points as possible to your opponents? So, Anitra, what did we expect from this little game? Well, Bananagrams always manages to make games that you can set up and explain very quickly. Germs is really, really straightforward. Place tiles, try to match your type. One look at the tiles kind of puts you directly into, like, Quirkle or Lanterns mode with tile placement in rows and columns and matching up the sides. So, I mean, that's really what I expected out of this game. Tile matching and side matching, I guess. (laughs) So let's talk about what surprised us, though. I was surprised at just how often I ended up having to place tiles that didn't even have my own germ type on it. It seemed like it happened over and over again, and sometimes multiple times in a row. That's actually kind of tough, because then you don't feel like you're in control of your own game, and all you're doing is blocking all the time, and we don't love games where you're being negative. But sometimes that's what you have to do. Gurns was a lot more tactical than I expected, since you always have to match at least one side and can never match white. So you'll find yourself looking for ways to minimize or block players as often as possible, just like I said. That was one of the big surprises for me with this game as opposed to a lot of other tile placement games. In most tile placement games, you need to place a tile with a valid edge, but an invalid edge is usually just fine. It just doesn't help you. Not only can you not place an invalid edge in Germs, there are only four kinds of edges that can be matched. It doesn't take long before you're really limited on what you're able to do. The way the math works with the scoring, it makes that feel a little complicated too. There's a simpler version where every completed Germ is worth exactly one point, but then that takes away the tactical aspect of the game. Anitra, do we recommend this game? Well, there are a lot of really great tile-laying games out there that we've reviewed before. Mm -hmm. From the simple... Quirkle. ...to the fairly complex... Land vs. Sea. Germs is definitely on the simpler side of this, mechanically. But the placement restrictions heavily affect every game. I also think there's a little bit of a mismatch between the way the scoring is done in this game and the simplicity presented to the players. I I just don't see an 8, 9, maybe even 10-year-old kid doing the necessary math in this to tally up the score. 
even if they know that a larger group is going to be better for their score, sometimes it's just too hard to visualize how that group is going to fit together. I mean, you're doing multiplication. It can just get a little bit complicated and tracking and everything. Yeah. But yeah. That being said, Germs is incredibly easy to learn and at under $15 and a small box, it's an easy game to pick up while on the go and not fret too hard if something happens to it. It's a great vacation game in that way. So, Anitra, what are we going to rate Germs from Bananagrams? I think we're going to rate it two and a half germs out of five. And that's germs in, in a snap. snap. And we're back. Hello. All right. We're going to start off with welcoming our new community members to the Family Gamers podcast. These are members who have joined the Family Gamers community. First off is our podcast guest from last week, none other than the inimitable John Maker. Welcome to the community. Yeah, welcome, John. And in case you had questions about last week, now you can ask him and not just us. Yeah, you can tag him and it'll send him a little thing and he can uh, answer away. But welcome also to our other new member, Fabiola. Hello and welcome to the community. We hope that you are getting some good information and we hope that you're willing to share some adventure stuff, which we're about to talk about. So, honey, let's talk about some adventures. So this is a topic that, you know, we've had a whole bunch of conversations around because the truth is that, I don't know, adventuring is like a, a fun thing, right? Like it's an escape. Board games are kind of an escape in a lot of ways, unless I guess you're playing abstracts. But board games are a way that you can kind of escape from the mundane of everyday life and you can go on an adventure. Yeah. And obviously not every game does this, mm. as we already mentioned, abstracts, probably more of the games we play don't do this, but it's something that we tend to look for, for when we really want that escapist feeling. Well, I'm going to make the argument, and I think we'll get into this a little bit more as we you know, really talk about this topic, that it's really kind of in the eye of the beholder. Right, like oh, You yeah. could play a game like Coldwater Crown, which is a game about fishing, and you could really kind of put yourself in that mold. Like, let's say you, you know, remember fishing with your dad when you were younger, and you can kind of have that mental adventure. And I guess I'm foreshadowing our conversation a little bit, but adventure doesn't necessarily mean a high fantasy adventure, right? And so, yeah, so there's a lot of opportunities for I this. I think a lot of what we're going to talk about is more towards that high fantasy idea, but not always. Well, I think that that's kind of what's in the you know zeitgeist of our culture right now. And so that's what those adventures are going to be really kind of about and the things that you can grasp and the things that you can do. But like, there are plenty of times when human interest stories are kind of like the main squeeze of popular culture. And in those times, what those adventures might look like might be a little bit different. So right now, you're absolutely right. High fantasy is, is the big thing. House of the Dragon just came out, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But that's not always the case. So if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you may also be wondering, why on earth are we going to talk about adventuring and games that make us feel like we're going on an adventure when uh, historically the Smith family has a hard time with role-playing games and <laughs> often with storytelling games too? I think so. I think the idea, the crafted concept of going on an adventure like it's a very romantic thing yeah. right like the idea of doing this it's just it sounds like it's going to be so fun and it just happens that our family is constructed in a way and the personality types in our family are constructed in such a way that like it just doesn't really work at least in the way that a lot of board games present it right now but it doesn't really work in the way that when you think of an adventure in a board game like those kinds of things. So the most recent example of this would be Familiar Tales, right? Yeah. It didn't really work for our family. doesn't mean it's not a good game, but we struggled with that. And, and we also struggled with a lot of the other stuff that was kind of related to that in the greater Plat Hat games, Jerry Hawthorne Universe. Yeah. They just didn't really work for us super well, right? Well, and like for a really solid role-playing game, we struggled a little bit with Quests of Yore. We can recognize that it's an excellent relatively simple role-playing game and it still just wasn't a great fit for our family yeah you know we we had a little bit better of a time with bureau of balance the adventure zone game which got rid of a lot of those mechanics and i think i think what that really probably means for our family is like we kind of can either do the story side or we can do the mechanic side but 
trying just, to do both with the too ages much. of our kids it's really hard like our 11 yeah. year old really wants to play D. he really 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 does but and he, he really can't run it right yeah. yeah and he did he did but he can't run it and you know he needs more people and once he gets into an environment where he can you know just be a playing character in that whole experience i think it'll be a lot better for him but um yeah but again we're really super focused right now on what we conventionally think of as adventures and that really is like tabletop rpgs right which is kind of the first thing on our list what we want to do is we want to talk about different kinds of games and how these games can bring adventure to your tabletop but they might not be exactly what you think right this first one absolutely is yes tabletop rpgs so this is your DD. this is your quest of your it does not have to be fantasy so this also includes things like hero kids which is a much simpler system Mm mm-hmm which comes in like a sci-fi space adventure flavor and also a modern. So you've got lots of options there. Mm-hmm. It also includes things that are nothing like a fantasy adventure. Yours and my favorite in this not at all <laughs> fantasy genre is the role-playing game Paranoia. Well, I mean, we haven't played Paranoia in a, in long, a time. long time. Yeah, so this is a classic tabletop RPG. It is mostly sci-fi i i suppose i mean you're playing as clones it's dystopian (laughs) sci-fi but it's just i for families that are out there that just really don't like the magic thing you have games like paranoia which are you know there's a source book you have a dungeon master or a or a quest master or whatever you want to call that guy uh, who's or girl or whatever who is uh telling the story it's got a lot of the normal trappings of a tabletop rpg yeah. because it is a tabletop rpg but it's not a high fantasy you know thing like that but also i mean there are games out there that really don't give you any of this stuff so i should say that Almost 200 episodes ago, we did an an entire episode on storytelling games, which is not the same thing as what we're talking about today. But obviously, there's a lot of overlap between these two things. We talked first half of the show about the game Venn, right? So the Venn diagram of storytelling (laughs) games and adventuring games has a, a strong correlation, but they are not exactly the same thing. So games like Untold Adventures Await, this is a, a a framework that doesn't give you a plot. This could be any kind of game you want it to be. If you wanted to have an adventure at, you know, uh, around here, we would call it Old Sturbridge Village or Plymouth Plantation. Those are the ones near us. But these kinds of um, almost like Renaissance Fair kind of places where they're like this historical reenactment kind of like living museum kind of thing. Like you could yeah, have you an could adventure in a place like that. You could have an adventure in, you know, downtown Seattle if you wanted to, that uses that untold adventures await framework. And you could really, really do whatever you want. You to. could set it up as as like a Wild West. I mean the framework of Untold is it's supposed to feel a little bit like scripting out a episodic television show. Mm-hmm. So you could draw on things like Westerns or Star Trek or a Friends-like setting where it's just a bunch of friends in the city somewhere (laughs) and like, what crazy hijinks are they going to get up to this time? And that can still feel like an adventure. (laughs) No soup for you. (laughs) That's Seinfeld. I know. I mean, I get it, but... Yeah, and so so all of these things, right? This entire th- all these tabletop RPGs in whatever framework they are, these are all first-person games. Right? These are all yes. games where you are embodying the character that you're playing really from a first-person perspective. And you know, we we wanted to kind of think about this and think about this from another perspective, which is that in reality, dungeon crawls Mm-hmm. Or or games like them, like I wouldn't call Clank a dungeon crawl. Clank is technically a deck builder. But these are games where you're looking at them in the third person. And the primary conflict isn't really the uh, the narrative adventure piece of the game. But there absolutely is a world there that you are inhabiting and that you are adventuring in. Yeah, and so there are lots of games in the dungeon crawl genre or dungeon crawl style. As you said, Clank is not technically a dungeon crawl, but it it definitely gets that feeling. Once again, you have the option of uh, more fantasy setting or more sci-fi setting with Clank in space. Mm -hmm. 
we've addressed a number of these over the years, like most recently the Quest Kids, mm-hmm. which is very accessible early dungeon crawl. Karak, which is also pretty good, although I would definitely suggest removing a few of the tiles to make it go faster. A little bit faster. Bit or faster. at the top of the show, we mentioned Chronicles of Avel, which yeah. is also a similar kind of thing. So so these are games where there's an adventure going on. And I mean, with Chronicles of Avel, I even mentioned there's this book with like all this extra stuff in it, right? So what you can do as part of this adventure is you can really flesh out the adventure instead of saying, I'm going to roll two dice and I'm going to attack the griffin and see what happens. You know, build that up and be like, I'm swinging this broadsword that I just picked up. I am going to smash this dude through the wall into oblivion. It's going to be epic. You know, and just really paint the the localized picture. You don't need a grand narrative, right? But yeah. as you start to paint these local pictures and over the course of time as you play more games and you and you continue to describe things, you start to weave an adventure together. And, you know, a lot of the storytelling stuff, it gets better with more reps. And if you want to create an adventure, you just need to do it a lot of the time, right? And so if the framework doesn't work for you, a la us and a lot of the plaid hat stuff like we talked about Mm -hmm. before, this more loose open thing might. And just kind of injecting just a little bit of color into the mechanics of something that's happening and something that otherwise might not be considered like a narrative kind of adventure kind of thing, it can really, really elevate that experience into something that's much more cohesive than just I move on to a hex square, I roll some dice, and I go to the next thing. Yeah. Well, and now let's pivot there into talking about some of the other games that give you that rich setting but aren't a dungeon crawl. Sure. You know, but will maybe inspire you to feel like you're actually going on an adventure together. So my favorite in this sort of category, I think, is probably Forbidden Island or Forbidden Desert. The whole Forbidden series is just, it gets my imagination going of like, oh no, we are trapped in the desert and the sands are shifting and... I don't want anybody in my party to die. And no, don't go over there. I'm not going to be able to help you. You're too far away. And you can drop into it right away without needing to have like really, really well fleshed out characters. You just have kind of a role. You know, I'm the helicopter pilot or the water carrier or whatever it is. Sure. But you can feel like your group that you're playing with has been dropped into this survival situation almost a la Mist, the old computer game. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, you know, the main character is never named. It's always just you, you, you're doing it. Mm. And so I think that's really cool. I mean, one of the things about that is like, there's always this unresolved tension of like, what is actually happening here? (laughs) Where like, why am I on? I mean, okay, I get the whole like, I need to get the things and then I need to get to that helicopter to get out. But like, if the island is sinking... I don't care about the items anymore. I want to get out of here. Like, what is going yeah. on that these things are so important that everybody is willing to risk their life? You know what I mean? Like, and so well, and I, that I, weird tension is something that's worth building a narrative around. Right. Well, and that's one of the things I like about Forbidden Desert over Forbidden Island, because it's literally, hey, your flying machine crashed into the desert. You need to find the pieces again. I suppose so. so like, the trappings of Forbidden Desert are a little bit less... Um, Indiana bit, Jones and a little bit more I'm just trying to stay alive. It's a little bit more cohesive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah sure, sure, sure. All right, so so let's kind of talk about this. So so this is our kind of rich setting that doesn't tell the story for you. Like you mentioned the Forbidden series. Uh, we mentioned Clank before. Like there's no story there. It just kind of sits like above everything is like this is just the situation you're in and truthfully like a lot of games even have this like even cooperative games like uh the professor evil and citadel of time game like like it's very much of this kind of contrived situation that gets you into the game which by the way is pretty much what always happens with exit games too speaking of cooperative games like the plot is completely ridiculous and contrived but it doesn't matter because the whole point of the game is to go through the adventure and these are games that at least in our experience, really do get you into that setting. I've got another one in the fantasy kind of world, but with entirely different mechanics that I want to mention here. Okay, okay. That one is Dungeon Academy. Okay. This is a real-time-ish roll and write. (laughs) Yeah, so this, I think you're working a lot harder to get a an adventure into this, like like some kind of string-together adventure in a game like this, but go on, I'm interested. When we play this, I always definitely feel that like hey i am this student 
character, student wizard, whatever it is. I've got to make it through this maze. I got to fight the guys. I really don't want to die while I'm trying to fight the guys and get knocked out. So the actual mechanics of it are maze solving. You know, can you find the optimal route Mm -hmm. through this maze? Mm -hmm. But at least for me, it always feels like, oh man, but if I do that, then I'm going to leave these big bad guys unfought and creates an extra tension for me and feels more adventure because of the incentives you get along the way. Well, I mean, okay, like I don't feel any of that. But what I will say is that I think that having that like bright glint of passion about the narrative of the story, like I think that that's something that's really engaging. And it's it's something that makes you more excited about a game, which I think is contagious. I think this is that uh, that thing where sometimes we talk about theme and how theme can really pull you into the game. Mm-hmm. And so for me, Dungeon Academy does that with the theme. I think for you, maybe Cuphead, you feel like you're adventuring <laughs> along as Cuphead and yeah. Man and yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to fight these bad guys. Ugh, yes. Even though all you're really doing is rolling dice really fast a bunch of times. Yeah, I mean, look, theme is super important. I mean, if we want to talk about theme, we could talk about theme all day long. Like, one of my probably... like. I was a Catan player and a Ticket to Ride player, all the obligatory, you know, entry-level, like, gateway games. But the one that really, really hooked me, as you know, was Lords of Waterdeep. And that game hooked me because I played D&D, and it has a D&D theme. And the idea of this game, where it's been flipped on its head, the whole D&D construct has been flipped on its head. And now, instead of being the questing party, you are the lord who is sending out the questing parties, was so interesting to me and so fascinating to me. And and there's tons and tons of room that, that you could create adventures out of this. You could... Put together some contrived reason why the connected quests that you happen to send your adventurers out on are the particular quests that you happen to use. In reality, it's really just a resource management game, but there's so much richness and, and there's flavor text and all of these things. And you know, you know who you are as a lord and your secret goals and all this other stuff. I mean, there's so much in that and there's so much that you can really take and work with and, and use it to flavor your experience, right? Instead of just like, oh, I'm sending these priests off to their death, those morons. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it can become something greater than just the mechanics of the game. Sure. Sure. Now, what I really want to know is how you're um, doing adventuring with Wingspan. You tell me. I will tell you. Okay. I'm not sure I feel this personally, but people go out and do bird watching. Like, not just as a passive casual thing, but like I'm getting up early in the morning. I'm looking for this bird in particular. Like I'm going to this place. Do they bring bingo cards? No. Oh, because like that's what I would do. <laughs> I know, right? But I think if that sort of theme really interests you, you could craft a little bit of that sort of going out in nature adventure narrative around playing Wingspan. I'm not sure I feel it personally, but <laughs> I, I, I certainly don't. But I, but I could see it that if you are a big birder already, this is going to make you think like, oh man, how on earth was I in a place where I could see a you know North American duck, a mallard duck, you know, in this one round, and in the next round, I saw something that only lives in South America. Like, how does that even happen? Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. You know, I think th- there's also this whole thing about playing out a predetermined story that doesn't necessarily require management from a certain resource, right? Like adventure games, choose your own adventure style stuff, or I mentioned the exit games before, right? We like the unlock games, the the coded chronicles games we've talked about, yeah. and we really, really enjoy those. There's so many of these things that it becomes really, really obvious that you are saving the day. Yeah, well, and those exit, unlock, coded chronicles... As you play through them, you become very aware that you're going through a preset story. It's kind of like watching a movie or playing a video game of like, oh, hey, this was all crafted for me every step along the way. Mm -hmm. And I'm just kind of uncovering the story as I go. But it can still be really engaging and feel like, oh, man, I solved this puzzle and now we get to cross the bridge. And what's going to happen next? I can't believe this is happening. So that can work really well. I have a real affinity for the games that tell you a story, but where you can make some choices that really affect the outcome of the story. So adventure games in particular, adventure games, the dungeon, do this incredibly well. 
oh, I'm going to stick my hand in this hole. Oh, well, you found an awesome treasure. Cool. Or maybe you got bit by a venomous snake and now you're (laughs) poisoned and losing health fast. And how on earth are you going to deal with Mm -hmm. that? Yeah, this actually makes me think that maybe maybe we are overdue for reintroducing Red Raven Games titles to our family. Mm. Because we tried once, and I think it was probably just a little bit too early for it. But we have above and below. Maybe it's time that we bring this one out and uh, and see if we can work it back into the rotation. I definitely think it's worth trying. I do remember that with above and below, it felt a little too disjointed to really feel like a solid story to me. Yeah, I don't know if it's supposed to feel like a solid story. Story really, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's just it's trying to craft a narr- a narrative which is not necessarily always intended to have the same initiation, midpoint, and conclusion. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah, it's kind of pulling little vignettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, sure. But I mean, I think what I really want to get to with this topic is really a place where parents can see that. There's something really precious about the adventure in any game that you play. If this game is currently learned, or if this game is, I don't know, Champions of Midgard, there's always kind of this external story that you can bring along with what's going on where you can really add flavor to the happenings. And if it's something that's already heavily narrative, it kind of does that for you, but just because, you know, you might be listening to this and you have a two-year-old or a three-year-old or, or maybe you have a child who's on a spectrum and so they're not really able to engage with games that you would normally classify at their age level or whatever it is, you can tell a story that comes alongside a game that makes the whole thing an adventure. Even with the game that shall not be named, this is something I could say positive about it. The whole reason it was created was to give a sense of wholesome adventure to kids who couldn't get out of bed yeah yeah so that i think is really what what the thrust of this conversation was to be about it is is that adventuring and the sense of adventure and the awe and the grandeur of adventure it might not be something that's physically possible for a five six seven eight year old just because they're kids Right? But that doesn't mean that they can't experience the concept of it on the table. And no matter what the game is, you can always put an adventure alongside and make it a truly magical experience. Once again, this is something where, especially if you have younger kids, listen and pay attention to what they're saying. Because maybe you can just insert a little bit here or there and get their imaginations running wild about whatever game it is. The game that shall not be mentioned is one of them. But I'm also looking at our games down here and stuff like Ice Cool. I mean, Ice Cool's got a cute little theme, but it's a cute little theme is all. But for kids who are just starting school or haven't been to school yet, the idea of not only going to school, but then racing around inside the school, that feels like an adventure too. And if you can frame it that way a little bit more, the game is that much more exciting. I don't even think you you need to do the framing in terms of actually putting the narrative together. I mean, I could imagine a situation where you're playing a game like Ice Cool and you say to your child who's in first grade or second grade, you know, when they need to raise their hand and get a, a whole monitor to walk them to the bathroom, like, could you imagine a situation where you were flying around the hallways like this? Like, tell me what it would be like. And just let their imagination run wild. Yeah. Like these adventures don't have to have a start, middle, and an end to them. It, they can be these vignettes, almost like we talked about with above and below. Yeah. And just, oh man, could you imagine how cool it would be if X, Y, and Z? Tell me what it would be like from your perspective, and just let them adventure in their own minds while you're playing the game. And yeah. that, those are the things that are going to make them want to come back to the table again and again, and and remember those experiences where they got to make up a bunch of goofy stuff. <laughs> Right? Yep. So that is really the thrust of this topic. That's really what we want to talk about is adventuring in board games. It is all those things you imagine. It is tabletop RPGs. It is these super plot heavy narrative third person adventures. It is Gloomhaven. That's totally adventure in board games. But it's also so much more. Yeah, that's not all it is. It's also telling a story about Ice Cool and the penguins run around in the hallways and trying to avoid the hall monitor. It's also 
Forbidden Island and how on earth are we going to stick together and make it off the island before everything sinks into the sea? It's all of those things. I think everybody has that family member who can tell a story about the most mundane thing and it just keep you on the edge of your seat. Uh, this is your aunt, for yeah, example. The, they could be me. the dumbest stories, but the way those stories are told is just so funny or interesting or shocking. I even think of a game like Monza where you, oh, tell me how you got around that guy. What happened? Oh man, were you on two wheels? Like ask, just asking these exploratory questions and yeah. I mean, you can make an interesting story about buying a pumpkin right like it could be anything and really really just engaging with your child's imagination to make anything an adventure that is what we're talking about what do you think is there a game that always takes your family on adventures if so you should tell us about it yeah or i mean have you ever done this have you ever really just pushed and prodded at your children and and gotten them to really kind of pipe up and volunteer their own ideas of what those adventures could be. We would love to hear all of those stories. Or have they done it to you? I Even know better. I kids who are real creative it. and like, you know, oh, can't you tell mom? You know, the, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the car's going sideways. It's sliding across the finish line. Yeah, I love it. All right. Well, you can go to a lot of different places to tell us those stories. The best place is going to be the Family Gamers community at thefamilygamers.com forward slash community. Or, of course, you can go to Facebook and just search for the Family Gamers community. Pop right into that community. You can also... I mean, hit us up on social media at Family Gamers, AA just about everywhere, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You can also head over to YouTube to see our Snap reviews on YouTube at The Family Gamers. If you want to avoid the social media, you can also email us, <laughs> Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. If you want to share those stories, but you don't want us to share your name, we would be happy to tell those stories on the show. If you send us email, we're going to share it on the show. Unless you tell us not to. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, unless you tell us not to, of course, or we would share it without your name or whatever. But we love getting that back talk. We love hearing mm -hmm. from our listeners and we love sharing that and giving you props if you want them. Speaking of ways that you can share your love for the Family Gamers, check out our Family Gamers and play games with your kids' merchandise. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and more at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you're hearing and leave us a rating or review at Apple Podcast or wherever it is that you subscribe. Tell your friends about the show, too. Tell your enemies about the show. Tell everybody about the show. <laughs> you know what we haven't done in a while? We haven't had a four science segment in a little bit, I think, since we came back from Michigan. So yeah. if you want us to eat some weird food, you can send weird food to us. You can send it to The Family Gamers, 60 Auburn Street, A-U-B-U-R-N, street number 528, Auburn, Massachusetts, 01501. And I'll eat it on the show. All of this contact information is also in the show notes. Look at your podcast app or go to thefamilygamers.com. It's all right there. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Head over to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help even us normal families pile up the victory points. Well, that's going to be it for this week. I am ready to go on an adventure. <laughs> well, we've got a lot of new stuff in to review. We've been sharing a ton of it on social media recently. And every single one of them is an adventure. So we're looking forward to doing a whole lot of that this week. We'll tell you about it next week. And until then, play, play games, games with your kids. kids.